Hello there. You're listening to the Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. We will also go over the Emmys and the winners of that ceremony, which just happened this past week. And then we will also play a clip that we cut out from the Lord of the Rings episode because it was a digression all about the current state of the streaming wars and how big franchises, consumers, and even the streamers themselves are losing. But first, we got some news to go over. So, starting out with something a little sad, Jean-Luc Godard has passed away at the age of 91. He, of course, is most famous for being one of the uh, pioneers of the French New Wave. He started out as a film critic, and then he was like, you know what? I'm getting tired of things all being the same and being boring and being conventional. So, he started making his own movies. And, of course, Breathless, the most famous example of uh, one of his films, which did a whole bunch of new stuff and was breaking film conventions left and right. Um, so he had a huge impact on the industry, and sadly, he has passed away. So rest in peace to him. I didn't realize he was still alive. And that is yeah, very he's sad. Old. He's quite old. It's very sad to um, find out that he is actually dead. I, I did not realize he was still alive. That is mm-hmm. very sad. All right, we have some uh, some new release date shuffles coming for you. Star Wars Rogue Squadron has moved to has been removed completely from their slate. It's it's gone. We don't know if it'll ever be put back. It was originally going to come out next December, and uh, now we don't even know if it exists anymore. It's yeah. gone because <laughs> yeah, production had not started on that at all. I don't even know if they had it written. Patty Jenkins was supposed to direct, but yeah, who knows if that'll even happen. So now it joins the, what, uh, D&D, the David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, mm-hmm. and the Ryan Johnson, Ryan Johnson films as no longer existing and may never exist. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see, see if Taika Waititi's trilogy stays. I know, he's That's the only the one left. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Next, we had Craven, which was originally going to come out January of 2023. It has been pushed to October of 2023 taking the spot of madam webb which has been delayed to february 2024 so there you go in other news blade runner 2099 2099 has been announced as an amazon prime series thoughts ryan thoughts ryan it is a perfect encapsulation of what our digression was about so yeah all my thoughts are stored in that clip that you'll get to hear later on in this episode. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's amazing the timing of that being announced. Because yeah, quite unfortunate. The reverse of that situation, though, is Sony has announced a new Karate Kid movie that is going to come out in 2024, presumably in theaters. And that's pretty strange since they already have a successful revitalization of that franchise in the Cobra Kai Netflix series. And it just premiered the fifth season last week. Of course, that's doing extremely well. It's the top of the platform in terms of shows right now. Mm-hmm. They're going to make another one. They're going to make season six for sure. 
So I, maybe this is tied in with Cobra Kai. They haven't given any other details about that, but this that is would how be they, pretty interesting. This is how they bring Jaden Smith back in. <laughs> this is how they do it. That'd be crazy. Have um, you seen any of Cobra Kai season five yet? No, not yet. I haven't watched it either yet. We'll get there. We will. I'm holding it off because I know if I start now, I'll just want to devour it. Of course. And yeah, I'm trying to focus on watching the David Lean films. So, oh, yeah, hold off. Shit. <laughs> I <laughs> forgot we were doing that. Fuck. But I just lost a whole week that I could have watched. <laughs> God exactly. damn it. Uh, so, yeah, maybe we'll have six seasons in a movie of Cobra yeah. Kai. It wouldn't make sense to me for them to do any other, like if they tried to do a Jaden Smith thing, it would just be so odd. Unless they amazing. bring him into the Cobra Kai universe. I'd be yeah, down with awesome. that. It'd be hilarious. They got everyone great. else back. So just do that. It'd be a great oh, way yeah. to complete it. Yeah, um, and Jackie but, Chan too. We still have Jackie Chan. Yeah. So awesome. that would be cool. But if they tried to reboot it in some way or do something that's adjacent to Cobra Kai, but doesn't really involve it, it would be really strange and kind of a letdown. But yeah, it is something to look forward to. A Karate, Ka- a karate Kid movie. 2024. Karate Kid. All right, we can do our box office breakdown for September 9th to September 11th. Coming in first, a little surprising, was the all-new horror movie Barbarian. You and I both predicted, like, what, around $6 million each, somewhere around yeah. there, like, low numbers. It hit $10 which million. Still would have put it on top, which is funny. Yeah. But, yeah, it was able to hit true. double digits, so that's cool. Yeah. Um, it's had a lot of conversation going on about it, mm-hmm. so that makes me very interested in it. And you and I... I'm going to go check it out later today, so that'll be fun. Oh my God, fun date night. Mm-hmm. We have Brahmastra Part 1, Shiva, with $4.5 million, coming in second place. Bullet Train in third place with $3.3 million, bringing its domestic total to $92 million, just on the cusp of the century mark. It'll get there, I think so. I think so too. We have Top Gun Maverick, $3.1 million. The Invitation, $2.6 million. DC League of Super Pets right there with it at 2.6 million. Life Mark with 2.1 million. That is, in fact, the name of the movie. Yes. Never heard uh, of it. I've, I have no clue what it's about, but yeah, it does exist and it got on the top 10. Beast hmm. was behind it with 1.8 million, bringing its domestic total to 30 million. It's probably going to be the last time it'll be in the top 10. Yeah. Minions. With 1.7 million, bringing its worldwide total to 900 million. Scoosh! <laughs> Completely wrong franchise there, but yeah, great success for you. Um, Spider Man No Way Home, 1.3 million. So that also probably ended its re release run. It didn't do as crazy as they were expecting it to. But again, that's because they didn't offer anything of substance with the uh extended 11 minutes that they threw in there so yeah yeah we have uh our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend the 16th to the 18th we have a bunch of smaller films that are getting released um but certainly to be at the top of the pack the woman king viola davis starring in that john is in it as well Ooh. uh this one is likely to get uh 15 million could even get as high as 20 million, which would be awesome. Yeah, um, be cool. So yeah, hopefully that'll be the case. 
definitely want to have Viola Davis have a big success on her hands because mm-hmm. she's awesome. Of course. We have Pearl, which is the prequel to X, uh, T West's horror film that came out earlier this year. Did you say T West? Is it a Ty West? T yeah, West, yeah. Ty West. Whichever one. The man. It probably is. Um, he, the original film made $4 million in its debut. Do you think this one will get more or will it not be able to surpass its predecessor? That's an interesting question. I think it'll get more just because people have seen X and those who do like it will definitely stick around for Pearl. And it has gotten better ratings. So I feel like I've also seen a lot more advertising for Pearl than whenever X came out. I didn't see a lot for X. But every once in a while, I will get advertising for Pearl a lot. So I think A24 is pushing the C- the prequel more. So I think Pearl will probably get around six or seven million. Right. I would agree with that. I also think it's A24's biggest release. I think they have it at almost oh, wow. like 3,000 theaters. Whoa. So yeah, much more than what X had in any other A24 film. So yeah, it does seem like, especially with the more subdued uh, sort of competition that it has compared to what yeah. X was facing. It seems like Pearl will be able to top the original. Still need to watch X. You do? Yeah. It's good. Yeah. And also coming out is See How They Run, starring Saoirse Ronan and Sam Rockwell. I'm going to say $5 million at the most. That's probably about right. Yeah. Not too much buzz for that film, but yep, that will probably get it in the top five. It's able to get $5 million. And then there's a bunch of other releases that are coming out that'll um, probably fill out the rest of the top 10. But there you go. We can now move on to the Emmys. We did not watch it because we were out eating, having fun with friends. So, yeah, we can't comment too much on the ceremony itself. I did see some clips. I watched uh, an eight-minute overview. Uh, Keenan Thompson did a good job. Uh, Kel came by. That was pretty cool. Pete Davidson was there with... uh, Big glasses and uh, did not read the teleprompter. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel sort of usurped That's the one part I know. Win. Yeah, we'll get there when we get there. But uh, overall, I heard it was a pretty okay ceremony. The big thing is that they did not give anybody enough time to speak, and like, 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 there's like, there's like a, a compilation clip on YouTube where it has like ten different people going up at this one Emmy ceremony, being like, "Oh my god, there's only thirty seconds left! Oh my god, oh my god, I gotta get going! Uh, oh, we're running out of time already! Oh my god!" Like they're right. all, they're all noticing that the teleprompter's like, "Stop now! Stop now!" <laughs> and and then the the bad part of that is, it's just crammed, filled with commercials. And then every once in a while, they won't be ready to bring the broadcast back. So it'll be like seconds of just like a please wait screen. <laughs> it's like you're wasting time here. Wow. Yeah, so that that's always a big fault in award shows. I feel like award shows should just... I don't know. I mean, of course you're going to need commercials because otherwise how it's how they're profitable. But hey, this will feed into the conversation we're going to have later in our digression. But maybe it should be on a streaming service. Maybe they should live stream award ceremonies instead of with commercials to give the people more time to to say what they want to say. I guess that could make sense. But also, no uh, award ceremony has ever stayed on time. They always go over. So I don't know That's why they true. care so much about the, you got to stop now, you got to stop now. Like, the people that are watching it are probably going to 
continue watching it or just record it like i usually do maybe there's a um, maybe there's a competition the first director of an award show to get it on time yeah. wins like a billion dollars they get all the awards from all the other they go stop stop you're costing your money stop <laughs> maybe they get paid maybe they're the pay rate that they get starts decreasing with every minute over the broadcast time <laughs> perhaps i don't know but yeah because they they always go over in whatever the show is afterwards which is usually just like the local news i mean it always bleeds yeah. over into that anyway so i don't know why they make it such a fuss like just let them say what they need to say i also do think like yeah people should have a pretty concise speech like don't ramble on for crazy long but yeah yeah to be constantly told like the moment you get up there like half your time is just the walk onto stage that's mm -hmm. pretty insane um so yeah. yeah the fact that they start the clock as soon as they call your name is a little crazy yeah because like when ted well, well here we go best comedy series was uh ted lasso <laughs> when ted lasso walked up there like the whole gang took him forever because the entire show goes up at once right by the time they all got up there and jason Sudeikis went to go talk he was we only have 30 seconds left already that's like the first <laughs> thing out of his mouth mm-hmm so yeah, well, there you go. Ted Lasso was the winner for the comedy series. Another blow to Olivia Wilde <laughs> with all the other ones that Jason Sudeikis got as well. Got um, but yeah, so it overcame Abbott Elementary, Barry, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Hacks, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Only Murders in the Building, and What We Do in the Shadows. Now, if you Maybe. ask me, the best show on that list, and I've seen the majority of them, the best show on that list is still Barry. But the reason it didn't win this award or any other award tonight is because it's not a comedy anymore. Mm -hmm. It's not funny at all anymore. It's just <laughs> very, very dark. It is right. a drama. And next year when it gets nominated, or the next time it does get nominated, whenever season four comes out, the next time it gets nominated, it better be nominated in the best drama category or else that won't make any sense to me. Right. Yeah, we'll see. And apparently season four is supposed to be its last so we'll see if what? it's going to be put in the right spot. But yeah, I think last time we had brought this up, we were talking about if they still have some weird rule about if it's 30 minutes and it has to be in the comedy section. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll see if maybe they'll let the runtime go longer and then that way it'll be able to fit in with the drama stuff. But yeah, in terms of lead actor for drama series, a big surprise, big win for Lee Jung-jae from Squid Game. That beat out uh, Jason Bateman, Brian Cox, Bob Odenkirk, Adam Scott, and Jeremy Strong. So, yeah, that was a, a big surprise. Good for him winning that award. Yeah. yeah. This is the first actor to win for a foreign series for that category. For any yeah, acting category, I think. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Very historic. Very yeah. cool. Winner for a writing for a drama series went to Jesse Armstrong for Succession. He beat out Severance, Squid Game, Yellow Jackets, Yellow Jackets again, Ozark, and Better Call Saul. Mm -hmm. So I very sad. haven't seen uh, Succession, but yeah, I mean, I'm just amazed that Better Call Saul I got couldn't believe completely it. snubbed. Yeah. The Tom Schnoz was nominated for Planet Execution, which is a great episode. It is. It I'm was surprised in... that they lost best writing. I mean, I have not gotten to, I'm currently watching season three of succession. That's why I haven't been watching the David lean stuff. Mm -hmm. And I will let you know when I get to that episode, because I'm pretty sure that's the episode he was nominated for was the season finale. And I do hear it's good, but I will find out when I get there. Gotcha. We have directing for a comedy series. I went to MJ Delaney for Ted Lasso, no weddings and a funeral. 
So yeah, again, Ted Lasso just cleaning up uh, mm-hmm. in pretty much every category with a comedy series. I'm a little but, upset that Bill Hader didn't win that one for Seven Ten North for Barry because mm-hmm. that's, I mean, that's just art. It's it's pretty incredible what he does in that episode, what what the team does in that episode, and then the Ted Lasso episode is just, it's just another Ted Lasso episode. Like there's nothing particularly standing out of the direction, so it's a little bit surprising. Gotcha. It's not bad. It's just it is. It doesn't stand out to me as much as Barry. I see. I see. Yeah. Lead Her. actress in a comedy series went to Gene Smart for Hacks. That's not too big of a surprise. I hear she's very good. I haven't seen the majority of these shows that are nominated. I've only seen Marvelous Maisel and Abbott Elementary, and I have not seen Hacks. But I hear Gene Smart is very good in it, so I'm not surprised. Mm-hmm. I know you probably wanted Issa Rae to win. Yeah, I love Issa Rae. I like Insecure a lot. Um, but yeah, I'm not too torn up over. I'm glad she at least got a nomination. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't think it was like the strongest season anyway for her um, mm-hmm. in terms of the acting for it. So, bummer. Yeah, as long as she got recognized for it, that's good enough. Um, but yeah, I do also want to check out Hacks at some point since I've Me heard too. many good things, especially about Gene Smart. Yeah. yeah. Uh, lead actress in a drama series, Zendaya. Two-time Emmy winner. Back and she's back. only, what, 25, 26 or something like that? Yeah. So Incredible. Definitely, I think, the youngest to have two under her belt at this point. Um, I mean, yeah, looking at it, bro, no competition. I mean, come on. Yeah. It was always going to be Zendaya. Or maybe Laura Linney, honestly, because it's Ozark's last season. Exactly. So, yeah, that was the, the one that could have came in and taken it. But for sure, yeah. Zendaya, that one episode, I think it was episode five of season two. Oh, yeah. It was just her. She was phenomenal in that, so well-deserved for sure. Oh, yeah. After that was directing for a drama series, another big win for Squid Game. Uh, Huang Dong-hyuk, who created the series and directed, I think, all of it, uh, he won. He won for Red Light, Green Light, which I think is the second episode. Maybe it's the first one. The first episode, yeah. first episode, yeah. It's the most iconic one because it's got Red Light, Green Light. Yeah, which is the most game. iconic game in, in, in all of it. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. Beat out Jason Bateman in his last season. Sad. Uh, yep. couple, couple, Three succession nominations. Jesus Christ. And again, where was Better Call Saul for this? Oh, tell me it about it. Tom Schnauz. Tom Schnauz should have gotten a nomination for directing that episode. Undoubtedly. Like, it's, it's astounding that Better Call Saul didn't get nominated in some of these categories. Yeah. And didn't win either because forty six like, nominations and zero wins. Ludicrous. They better sweep next year. Or I'm they honestly should, it. but I'm worried that people will just forget about it by then. I know because it will have been so long since yeah it's happened. So I don't know. We'll we, we'll have only hope. They better sweat. It better happen. Right I mean, I just want me. one. I just want one for Bob Odenkirk. I know, right? Just like a just an award to say you did it. You did six seasons of this show and you killed it every single episode and you've earned this because mm-hmm. he earned it so bad he's done so great he's a producer he's so integral in the character he's so integral in the production he he's earned this award over and over he's incredible in this show just give him one just give I him agree. one the only oscar it wins is brian cranston for guest actor <laughs> so crazy. Emmy. single emmy yeah the single emmy that it wins 
That would be really funny. In. Coming in. It would Honestly, he was really good in the one episode he's in. He was. So I'd be down <laughs> for him to win for Walter White again, but Bob Odenkirk should definitely win. Ray Seahorn definitely should win. And then they come on, give the Peter. Oh, Ray Seahorn, I think will win. She better. She was so good. She will. Um, writing for a comedy series, Kinta Brunson for Abbott Elementary, the pilot episode she won. So that was amazing. Except yep. for the controversy over what Jimmy Kimmel was doing. Jimmy Kimmel uh, being a dumbass. He was laying down at the like microphone and then stayed there the whole time as she was giving the speech. So yeah, a bit gone bad. Yeah, but I think they made it up. I mean, she was on his show a few nights later. She got to finish her speech there. So oh, that's cool. kind of still kind of douchey, but I mean, I think we all learn from our mistakes. It's just it was a comedy bit that went on too long. Right. For yeah. sure. Also, lead actor in a comedy series went to Jason Sudeikis yet again. He's won how many of these for Ted Lasso? Two? He's won two. Because this was season two. Yeah. Wow, look at that. This was the first year, because for some reason the way it lined up, uh, Bill Hader has won two for Barry, and Jason Sudeikis had won one for Ted Lasso, and then we were on season three of Barry and season two of Ted Lasso, and this is the first time they were nominated against each other. And I was like, which one of them is going to get it? Because they're both great in both of their shows and they've been cleaning up. And it went to Jason Sudeikis, which is surprising because Bill Hader delivers the performance of a lifetime in this season. Like, <laughs> I've never seen anyone act this good in a TV show since Walter White. I'm telling you. Wow. Like, that is incredible performance. Like, he's nonstop in this season, like, at the peak of his acting ability. Mm hmm. And don't get me wrong, Jason Sudeikis is amazing as Ted Lasso. Because, I mean, he embodies the character and he brings such a warmth to it that is incredible. And that's amazing. And I do think he deserves lead actor in a comedy series. And I'm upset that Bill Hader was nominated against him because Bill Hader should have been nominated for lead actor in a drama series. Because it's a drama. Mm -hmm. So if you were saying best lead actor in a comedy series, I guess you could say no, Bill Hader didn't deserve it because Barry's not funny. And Jason Sudeikis is genuinely funny. Like, you win lead actor in a comedy series for making people laugh and care about your character, and Jason Sudeikis does that every single time. Bill Hader is just a really great performer and is 100% embodied in the character and should have been nominated in the drama category and should be nominated in the drama category in the future. And that's, that's my piece. <laughs> yes. Uh, limited or anthology series, the winner for that, was White Lotus. No surprise there. Beat out Dope Sick, Drop Out, Inventing Anna, Pam and Tommy. And White Lotus cleaned up everywhere in all the categories. Oh, yeah. Now I really well, need to watch it. Have you seen me it? Me too. I'm excited for it. No, I haven't watched I gotta watch it, it now. But I do want to see yeah. it. And then I can't wait for a couple years from now for it to be in the drama category when season two comes out. Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> so funny. The, the classic, we're a limited series. Actually, psych, we're going to do season two. Yeah, it's because they don't want to compete against Succession. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, writing for a variety special, Gerard Carmichael for Rothaniel. He won. Uh, so good for him. I've heard good things about that. That's also yeah. something you need to check out. Um, I believe it's on HBO. So mm -hmm. yeah, something else to look out for. Also writing for a limited or anthology series or movie. Right back to the White Lotus for Mike White. Honestly, that makes me happy. I like Mike White, and he doesn't get any kind of recognition. He hasn't done anything in a while, and so I'm glad that his comeback was the White Lotus, and I'm glad that he's winning a bunch for it. 
Indeed. He also won directing for a limited uh, series or anthology series or movie. So, yep, Mike White, two Emmys for White Lotus uh, that he got individually. So that's great for him. Competition program, Lizzo's Watch Out for the Big Girls. It was able to beat out. Mm, You're right. Sorry for my pronunciation. How could I? Uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, which usually wins a category every single time, got beat out. So that was pretty surprising. Yeah. Incredible. Also, lead actress in a limited or anthology series or movie went to Amanda Seyfried for The Dropout. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah. That's... um, What's the name? There's no, the, there's no White Lotus nominated in that category. That's very true. That's why she's different. What's the name of the person that she's playing? Is that is the dropout the one where she she it invents is the one with the Theranos? Okay, like the Theranos company with the blood thing. I should know. I want to buy the book that it's based on. Mm-hmm. Well, this might actually no. This isn't based on the book. Adam McKay bought the rights to that book, and I think he's still going to make a movie out of it. And it's supposed to be Jennifer Lawrence. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was interesting that they made this. Elizabeth God, I can't Holmes. Her name. Elizabeth Holmes. Yes, mm-hmm. she yeah. got an antho- she got a limited series, and now she's getting a movie made about her. Indeed. So we'll see if J Law is able to have the same success in terms of awards recognition for her portrayal. With Adam McKay directing, probably not. <laughs> yeah, may well he's a darling at the Oscars, so she'll probably get nominated. Oh, um, for sure. But yeah, probably won't win. But in the supporting actress in a limited or anthology series, a Jennifer did come out on top. Jennifer Coolidge with the yeah. Lotus. That's awesome. It makes me very, very happy. I <laughs> love Jennifer Coolidge. She beat out four of her castmates. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> she beat wow. Connie Britton, Alexandra Daddario, Natasha Rothwell, and Sydney Sweeney. Five people from the Light Lotus were nominated in this one category. God damn. I mean, if we were doing, if we did an Emmy, uh, what is it, an, an Emmy competition instead of an oh, Oscar yeah, one, Emmy draft, White Lotus would have sure, been White the Emmy draft. White Lotus would have been the one to get for sure. Yeah, that in succession would have been the like yep. one everyone goes for first. For um, sure. Next, we have Variety Talk series last week tonight, which on Oliver won for the like seventh time. It's insane that they have Daily Show and Jimmy Kimmel Live and all these other ones that happen every single day. Paired with mm. a seasonal show that only does uh, like recaps on specific topics instead of doing like a daily thing. And also it's only like 30 minutes instead of an hour. It makes no sense yeah. why I'm in the same category. Obviously, if you have way more time and you only do like half the amount of shows, probably a quarter of the amount of shows, you're going to be able to put more quality into it. It's interesting this night show wasn't nominated this time. I know. Interesting. That's interesting. pretty crazy too. Um yeah, same you just call with, it the John Oliver Award at this point. Same with this next award, Variety Sketch Series. is basically the SNL Award because there's only two nominees. This is ridiculous. There's Saturday yeah. Night Live and a Black Lady Sketch Show. Why do we clearly, have a category for this? Clearly, the market is in dire need of another sketch series. So, Ryan, I know what we're going to do. <laughs> you yeah. and I are going to make a sketch series. We're going to be the third person nominated in this category. We'll get we're going to lose gracefully to Saturday Night Live. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that's supporting, ridiculous. Yeah, supporting actor in a comedy series went to Brett Goldstein for Ted Lasso. He beat two of his co-stars, Tahib Jamo and Nick Muhammad, and he also beat two Barry alums, Anthony Kerrigan and Henry Winkler, which makes me sad because they were both also once again, once again, incredible this season. 
but they just weren't funny and that sucks. And that's why they didn't win. It's because it's not a comedy role anymore. They're very, very dramatic about it. There's mm-hmm. literally, there's only one time in the last season I, I, I laughed. There was only one moment I laughed. And that's, that's yeah. not that, that's not saying it's a bad comedy show. It's by design. Right. We'll see. I'm hoping for you, since you're so invested in this, that next year they're going to be able to get in the drama category because otherwise they'll lose all of the awards yet again. For supporting actress in a comedy series, Cheryl Lee Ralph for Abbott Elementary won. That's awesome for her as well. Did you you see her speech? I did not see her speech. I did see her look, which was super cool. You should go watch her speech. Okay. It's a pretty great speech. Hiring. It's awesome. Will it stir the soul? Yes, it will. 100%. I, we're going to finish recording this, and I'm going to make you watch it, and then I want to get your reaction, because it's it's awesome. Okay. Or you can just tell me later tonight when I see you. Probably that. Yeah. Uh, supporting actress in a drama series, Julia Garner for Ozark, was able to win in the final time that she was able to be nominated for the show. So I can't believe Ray her. Seahorn was nominated for supporting actress. What a load of shit. <laughs> I know, that is pretty crazy. She is easily the lead actress but okay supporting actor in a drama series went to matthew mcfadian for succession finally finally it went to him finally he's great going to all the other succession no he's going to random people i just think he specifically is great in this show and he beat out uh what two other succession people nicholas braun and kieran culkin he's great Mm -hmm. in succession matthew mcfadian is great in succession and i'm so glad he won He's earned it. We have lead actor in a limited or anthology series or movie, Michael Keaton with Dope Sick. So shout out to him. Able to get an Emmy. Um, The big final award. The best, outstanding, coolest drama series. Went to Better Call Saul. Just kidding. It went to Succession. As always, it went to Succession. This is the third time they've won. That sounds about right. They they might not have won for the first season. They might not have won for the first season. I know this is the first time Brian Cox didn't win, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it went to uh, succession yet again. Hopefully next year. Better Call Saul is going to get the recognition that it deserves. Hopefully. We just have to wait a year to find out. Bob Odenkirk almost died on set. He almost died. Oh, my God. And then he came back and continued to deliver an incredible performance. I mean, yeah. come anyway, on. Anyway, during our Lord of the Rings episode, Ryan and I got into a very interesting conversation about the profitability of the theater model versus the profitability of the streaming model. We didn't think the conversation fit with the Lord of the Rings episode. However, we did want to share it with you. So without further ado, here is our streaming v theater digression. Now, what do you think about the trend of making film franchises into television shows, such as The Rings of Power being this massive behemoth? Like, how much did it cost for Amazon to get the rights, but then also to make the show? It's like the most expensive show. I think it was the same amount it was made. to make the movies, wasn't it? Like right. Close yeah, like something like million. that. So, what do you think about that? Of like, taking this property where you're already putting the amount of money into it that you could put into making a movie and making like a trilogy movies even, but instead they're making it a show. What are your Mm. thoughts about that? Because I still really have reservations about 
ideas of taking things that really could be on the big screen and should be on the big screen and then transforming them into shows just so you can emulate like Game of Thrones or something like that and have this big it, cash cow show I think it instead of a movie. depends on the story you're trying to tell. Like, if it's a, because from my understanding, the Rings of Power is about, like, it's a very intense prequel, like thousands of years before, that's about, like, the founding of those rings. That mm-hmm. doesn't seem like a big enough story to merit, like, a big screen sort of thing. So I could see that being on the small screen. But my point is that it seems entirely unimportant altogether because there's 10 minutes of narration in the beginning of Fellowship of the Ring that covers it all. Uh, <laughs> you're done. Done. It's it's over. You're you. You know it all. You know what happens. It doesn't right. need to be elaborated this intensely. And I feel like it will only detract because for the most part, this is being written by modern people. Like these are characters that are being created by modern people and very few plot points and characters are from J.R.R. Tolkien himself. Right. That kind of addition doesn't seem necessary to me, especially with Lord of the Rings, because it's just such a self-contained story that it's it's it starts and then it is over and then there's nothing that you could possibly expand on. Whereas Star Wars is like, there's so many different characters and so many little threads that aren't expanded on completely that you could expand upon them separately. Like Cassian Andor doing an Andor series. Sure, like we don't, we barely know anything about him. We barely know anything about the early stages of the rebellion. You could do a whole thing about that. You could do a whole thing about the middle part of Obi Wan Kenobi's story. Though I will admit, it would have been better as a movie. Oh yes, I agree with you. <laughs> a movie that was written well—that is true. Uh, there's things that I think would work better as a TV series, and there's things that I would think work better as a movie. And it is sad that they're making everything into a TV series these days. That's and what I'm very, saying. very scarcely picking out what should be a movie. And I think it's because I feel like there's starting to be a shift in what is profitable and what isn't. Because as we see, you know, but the Marvel I'm, I'm movies, not even convinced of that because I don't know. Because like, how do you even gauge whether something was like a financial success on just streaming? Because yeah, you're paying for like, oh, how many subscribers are there that come in? But like, there's already a baseline amount. So then My you're looking at like, the viewership is... of each individual show. Because again, how do you even like quantify that out to this is the amount of dollars we receive from each person? But in like, theory. even if like, even if the product you make is a dud on a streaming service, like even if it, the quality is really, really bad, you're still getting 10 bucks a month from the people who are still subscribing to it. Right. Like you're still making money month after month. And the whole business model is that you're going to keep creating content to keep that amount of money the same, if not bigger. So like, mm-hmm. if you get a dud quality wise, as long as the amount of subscribers doesn't decrease, it's still a financial success. Whereas if you make a dud movie, you can very clearly see that there is an adverse effect with box office sales. Like if it makes less money at the box office because it sucks, then it is a failure. Whereas sure. as even if it is a failure on the TV show, as long as all the other stuff on the streaming service is enticeable enough to keep the same amount of subscribers or more, it is a success. As long as it doesn't just like if, if they released Rings of Power and then they had like a decrease in viewership or subscribers, like people like stop subscribing to Amazon Prime because they're like, <laughs> yeah, I don't care about their programs anymore, which wouldn't happen. Then mm-hmm. it would be considered a dud and they would probably cancel it. Because it's a waste of money and it's not bringing in people. But 
the idea is that they make a certain amount of money every year from subscribers and they know how much money they're going to make and they're going to use a portion of that to create content that will either keep those people there or bring in more. And as long as they stay at the same or more, they're profitable. Whereas right. a movie, you have to make your money back plus the, plus some. And you can see sure. whether it does. And so it's more quality focused. Whereas I feel like streaming services are more quantity focused. You want to create as many niche sort of things that you can put out there that entice the widest range of people. So like Netflix does, you know, this show and this show and this show. And like not everybody's going to like all three of those shows, but everybody will like at least one of them. And that will bring in the most amount of viewers. Whereas movies are like, we're trying, there's only one movie and this one movie has to make money. So we're trying to make it as broadly appealing as possible and bring in as many people as we can to see this one specific movie. And Perhaps. that sort of broad appeal uh, really affects the quality of the product to every, because everybody has to like it. It has to be overall entertaining and good for everybody in some way or another. Right. But I'm pretty sure even on like Netflix aside, like they're getting to that point where it's just not feasible anymore to pump out that much content because Absolutely. so many of it are duds. Like there's way more people that are probably subscribed to Netflix for just something like Breaking Bad or old shows like that mm -hmm. than they are for Absolutely. whatever new random show they're putting on or some new like no one was subscribed for Red Notice or for Gray Man or anything Absolutely. like that. And maybe they're able to look at that and see like, okay, well, how many people did we retain by having mm -hmm. these movies or whatnot? But even then, they spent like $200 million on each of those well, movies. I would was say that really Netflix, paid off? I don't feel like it was even based on I would on, say like, Netflix metrics. is trying to take risks because now they're in a more competitive market than they were 10 years ago when they were the sure. only streaming service. So they're willing to take greater risks with the content they have and really try to uh, like bring in as many people as they can so they can maintain that viewership and that monthly subscription. And if it doesn't work, then they can learn from that mistake and then do something else. I think for sure we're going to start seeing a trend towards quality being more appealing because you see shows like The Boys and House of Dragon on HBO Max and uh, what are other shows that are Stranger Things that are they're the drawing in points because of right. the quality. So I think there's going to be more of an emphasis on creating more quality content as competition feeds into itself in the same way that movies are like that. But I think movies have always been that way and they always will be that way. And so we're starting to see a trend now where for a while movies could get away with being part of a franchise. And even if it's not very good, it will still make its money back and then some. Mm -hmm. And it's starting to be less of the case. Like people are starting to like, they will still go and see a Marvel movie because it's a Marvel movie, but it's probably less of a, a appeal to go and maybe see it a second time or a third time or a fourth time if it's not good. And that's where they make a lot of money. You know, you put out a product like Endgame, people like Spencer go and see it nine times. That's, you know, if he didn't have Regal Unlimited, that would be $90 that goes towards that from one person. So like you think about not only the washability, but the desire to rewatch something that is because of its high quality and also because it's part of this franchise and it's epic, things need to start trending in that direction. So I think Marvel is on its way out i think they're going to keep doing it i think they're going to make their money back and i think they're going to continue making these i think it's going to start going into disney plus more and more because they can make more money 
more profitable though for that because again like so much of disney plus again you'd have to tease out what is the like star wars amount like mm-hmm. who is subscribed to see the star wars stuff versus the marvel stuff versus people that are just subscribed to disney mm-hmm. plus so they can have their kids watch pixar movies on repeat yeah so that they're not like they definitely have <laughs> analytics like, of course like they do for sure but again i'm saying i'm not convinced that it's as profitable as this stuff is making it out to be because they're spending so much money. Like in Stranger Things is also like that season was also well, 200 million remember, plus at least. You, they Which make that one is a success, but they have many other shows as well that they try and pump out stuff into. And it's a lot of money as well to do shows. Like it's not easy to build up a eight episode show, especially if it's a genre piece. And I just don't know how they can justify all of that. But that is the trend is that they're trying to pump more stuff out onto Disney Plus and whatnot or on Netflix or on HBO Max or whatever it is. And I don't know how financially those well, are think about it like better this. than just Netflix, making those things a movie. In quarter three of 2021, Netflix had 214 million global paid memberships. And each one is about $10 a month, right? Yeah. So that's going to be like... billion a month every month Mm -hmm. they make now like what would that be 24 billion dollars a year now let's say a big chunk of that goes to paying salaries they can take a big chunk of that and they can use that for original content they can take another big chunk of that and use that to pay for Licensing. Uh, the rights to licensing to, so they can bring on things like Breaking Bad that entice people and like friends and things like that. And then another chunk of that is just profit that they add to their, uh, that they show that they're making profit and then yada, yada, yada. Like the whole thing that I always think about is Michael Eisner. Am I thinking of Michael? No. Who's who's the one after Michael Eisner? That Bob, was in of Iger. Bob Iger. Bob Iger was successful because he knew that you needed to spend money to make money. So he bought marvel he bought star wars he bought all of these things that he could use to make more money later and then a lot of other companies started doing the same thing you buy these properties and then you expand them and you make money off it like crazy money do two billion dollars a month just from paid subscribers is a lot of money so 200 million for one season of a series is nothing if that draws in more and more monthly subscribers who will make that money back like that but these but many of these series don't. That was what I'm saying. Like Stranger Things yeah. is one of those get, for sure. Typically that, get canceled. That's a draw. But a lot of the other ones don't. And that's what I'm saying. They have so many shows that they put out and it's one season and it doesn't make anything. And then they uh, go back to the but drawing board a, and try and come yeah. up with more. And then it's just, it's endless. Because they're trying to apply content, to niche markets. Like Netflix's business model for a long time was we're going to apply to as many people as possible. So we're going to get all these different creative forces who can make very specific niche TV shows to appeal to as many people as possible. So like this person can subscribe to Netflix because they like this show. And then this person can subscribe to Netflix because they like Stranger Things. This person really likes action movies so they can subscribe to watch Red Notice and Gray Man. Regardless of the quality, there will be somebody who likes a product. So the more products they churn out, the more people it applies to. Even if they aren't good, somebody will like them. And the quality programming is the one that appeals to the majority of people. So that's, of course, what they're going for. But right now, for a while, they were quantity over quality. And now that might be at a tipping point where, because you last year, I think Netflix was canceling a bunch of shows 
And it's because it was no longer profitable to keep them because not enough viewer, according to their analytics, right. there weren't enough viewers for them. It was too niche of a market, too small amount of people were. So basically, like you can, they probably have analytics that you can look at and like, we have this many subscribers for this show. It costs us $30 million to make a season each year. They're not bringing in $30 million worth of subscribers a year. So it's not worth it to keep them going and they ax it. Sure. But yeah, again, the way they'd have to look at it, those are we keeping this amount or like is this show keeping this amount of people that would translate to something similar to 30 million in revenue if it were mm -hmm. like in a box office thing. Um, and I just, I'm not convinced that many shows actually meet that threshold because you'd have to look at each individual, each individual one. Like are yeah, people at just a box office, watching these shows just to like watch random stuff and have it on in the background or are they meaningfully like a draw that is keeping people on the platform? Or are they just watching a bunch of random content because they already have Netflix and are just waiting for the next season of Cobra Kai to watch that? Yeah. Like, what are the draws that they have? And I'm never... saying we are at that tipping point where I don't see how it is going to be feasible to continue to do this, like, massive content dump. Like, I just don't know if it's at a point where it's still more profitable or the better financial option than just yeah. making the movies, like just making those same properties mm -hmm. into movies, wherein you would be able to get the box office revenue, plus all the disc sales, plus PVOD, plus mm -hmm. adding it to your streaming service later on. Well, that's like, what it me, seems like I just think that is, Like look at Disney yeah. Plus, they'll put, out a, they'll put out a Marvel movie for three months in theaters, and then they'll bring it to Disney Plus to bring in more people to watch it. Because people, people will be like, we don't care if we watch it in theaters or on TV or not. So we'll just wait a few months for it to be on Disney Plus and we'll watch it there and save some money because we're already paying for it. Right. There's there's definitely a trend, and COVID had a part in that, where it's starting to look that way, where movies will probably be in theaters for three months and then immediately go to a Agreed. streaming service. I'm somewhere. Saying, so yeah. People who do want to watch in theater. So that's, that's a more broadly appealing way to do that because now that applies to everybody. Anybody who wants that theater experience can get it, and anybody who wants that streaming service experience paying slightly less because they're already paying for a streaming service can do that as well. For a long time, the niche uh, approach to streaming services worked because there wasn't a lot of competition. So Netflix could just throw out a bunch of like very specifically appealing things, but have a bunch of it so that it applies to everybody. And then everybody will come to Netflix because everybody – I remember eight years ago or five years ago even, everybody had Netflix. There was no question of like, hey – do you have Netflix? Because if you do, you can watch this. It was, hey, did you see the new show on Netflix? Because everybody here has Netflix. Right. You know, that I've never had that experience with any other streaming service. There's never been a time where I'm like, oh, everybody has Hulu or everybody has HBO Max or everybody has Amazon Prime. Everybody sure. had Netflix and probably a majority of people still do have Netflix. I mean, 214 million worldwide subscriber subscriptions are a lot. Like it's that true. is a huge chunk of. I agree. But it is also. At least domestically, there was what slight decreases and then that like tanked Netflix's stock, which is crazy. But yeah, even that is sort of like, I think, pointing to the fact that orienting all of the quote unquote content, which is another terrible way to phrase everything, but to mm -hmm. service all of that to the streaming services, I think is just mm -hmm. not going to work at a certain point because there's too many streaming services. There's too much of the like content that is being thrown out that isn't interesting. Like even a lot of the Marvel shows on Disney Plus as mm -hmm. well aren't yeah. like really draws at that point like they're not yeah uh at least in the same way it was originally like oh wandavision oh we're gonna get to see these different stories like they're not even at that level 
but that's why they're one year into their shows yeah that's why they're on disney plus though is because even if they fail as long as they have the quantity of shows that will appeal to somebody they will still make that monthly subscription each month whereas if you had made wandavision a two-hour movie and put it in theaters if it's not good it's not going to make as much money maybe but I think it would make more money than any one of those individual shows would because you would I think see the, the actual thing... box office revenue plus the PVD plus, again, putting it on the streaming service. And so what I would want is for them to gear more towards that of like, yes, let's do the traditional model of like trying to make this great, awesome film, put in theaters, get money that way, and then through PVOD and then disc sales. And yeah, then I add think it to that our, would be the most profitable was, would be to announce that. Every Marvel project is coming out is going to or every every like if you're a streaming service, say Netflix and they're making a movie, every movie should get released in theaters for a period of time. And then after that goes to say a premium video demand service for a month, like Netflix will charge you ten dollars to watch this movie now or you can wait a month and it'll be free on Netflix. And then you can also have disc sales and all kinds of stuff. I think that's the most profitable thing that they could do. I agree. However, it seems like an added addendum to that is the, the fear that they have is. They will put this thing, let's say each movie goes out for three months. Let's say they put the gray man in theaters for three months and it does terrible immediately. And so now you have three months where you're not making money off of it because it's stuck in theaters. So the way to make it most profitable will be to not announce when it's going on premium video on demand, release it for the first weekend. That'll give you an idea of how well it's going to do. And that can determine how long you want to keep it in theaters because then you could do a, a breakdown of at what point will we be making less money with it in theaters and more money if it's on our streaming service? And then at that point, you can switch it to premium video on demand, keep it there for a month, and then switch it to free on Netflix. And then you can sell all kinds of merch and stuff. You can do all kinds of stuff like that. And then it's Uh also easier, makes it 10 times easier to enter these films into awards contender things because it's already hard to do that for streaming movies. They have to play it in Los Angeles for a month. There's all kinds of rules they have to do. If they released it wide in theaters, the only other problem with that is you also have to pay a distributor to distribute it. So right. they would get a chunk of that money. So you have to but factor most that of in. The streaming services already are tied to studios. The only one that would take, yeah. like, sort of isn't would be Netflix. And they are only in the game of, yeah, putting it in theaters if it's only to qualify it for Oscars or for yeah. some of their blockbusters like Rayman, they tried to do a limited release, but then those don't really go well because a week later it's on Netflix. So yeah, you have to find the balance of put in theaters and then have it, have a path towards streaming services. If they wanted to make the most money, they would be releasing theaters and not say when it's going to go to Netflix. So that if it's something that people care about as quality, they will flock to it because they don't know when it's going to be free for them. Like Top Gun Maverick. Like Top Gun Maverick. They didn't know when it was going to go on premium video demand, which is what they're doing with uh, most other movies that are, are uh what's it called it's just studio films is eventually they will go on a streaming service within the year and you they make the most money assumedly because they make that box office numbers and then they contribute to the overall wealth of the uh the streaming service uh, itself yeah and the The other problem is that a streaming service will be profitable year round whereas the box office has lulls in it like you go in in august or september you're not going to make as much money as if you premiered in june or july so like sure. that affects what time you release a movie. However, that's going to affect how profitable the streaming service is going to be because that affects when it goes on the streaming service. So there will now be lulls in the streaming service content. And you can get a whole month where you drop in subscribers significantly. And that's 
that's millions and hundreds of millions of dollars because you don't have any know with the streaming service because there's always like you would still have stuff but i'm saying they're on the streaming service but i'm saying for the movie specifically like franchise things i'm saying everyone is gearing it towards just doing the streaming stuff which yeah i'm saying wouldn't be as profitable as the the route that you were just describing there where it starts out like say make it a movie instead of making it a series and then Mm -hmm. you have that whole route to the streaming service so it still gets put on there it's still buffing up your library but you still get all the money otherwise it's and, it's a movie, and it's more streamlined and it's less of a drag to have eight thousand shows to try and go through and see which yeah. one i care about instead of having a nice movie where it's all focused on that and it's a yeah. tight narrative and it's just beautiful let's wrap that's this up. where it, it looks like it's trending i'm probably going to take this bit where we talk about streaming services i'm going to make it a separate episode because it seems interesting and i want people to hear it but it has nothing to do with lord of the rings yeah i would say add it to this next episode about the um I think it could be like remember the, when you had the argument with Sebastian and all that. I wouldn't want it to be a standalone episode, but just like a special episode, like because I can change no. the setting to work. Oh, come on, don't make I don't want to. Because how is this going to tie into the next episode either? I have no clue. We could talk it's about. Not, I'm going to make it a separate thing. Make it. It'll be thing. fine. I don't want it. It'll be. An, it, it's another digression, and it's an interesting digression. I feel like I raised some good points. I feel like you raised some good points. I feel like we had a wonderful talk about streaming services that had nothing to do with Lord of the Rings, uh-huh. and has nothing to do with my my flick picks either. It's uh-huh. its own separate thing, and it's like it's going to be like a whole half hour long. Uh huh. But that's not enough for its own episode. Yes, it is. No. How long was your argument with Sebastian and all of them? It was like 40 minutes. Well, then let's keep going. You got 10 minutes. Come no, on. No, 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 no. I'm making it a separate thing. Don't. You will thank me later. It's going to cut into the flick pick and just jut in there for no reason. You just put it on the end of the flick pick. No, I'm not doing that. It's going to be too long anyway. It's not, but I'm not doing that. I'm not just going to tack it on and be like, oh, and by the way, this is our digression from the last episode. Enjoy. But why no, you know? it should just be, I'm just going to do a little introduction. I'll record it on my own. I'll put it at the front. I'll say, at the end of our Lord of the Rings episode, we talked about uh, Lord of the Ring, uh, Rings of Power, and that got us into a very long digression about streaming services and their profitability. We think it's an interesting discussion because of how it affects movie, the, the future of cinemas, and what could be the most profitable for theaters as people who will hopefully be entering the film industry soon. And we think it'd be interesting to for you to listen to for us to talk about so enjoy our digression on uh the profitability of streaming versus theatrical release uh i'm gonna do it so you're putting it as a bonus episode it'll be a bonus episode yes interesting i'm just saying it's a travesty it is a travesty that we haven't had a star wars film in years yeah and we don't know when the next star wars film is coming out but we have i agree with you a bunch of disney plus shows coming out and again i just don't know how those things would be more profitable than again like kenobi a movie would have been more profitable than whatever they did with that disney plus show but they wouldn't have done it the way that makes it most most profitable they would have waited way too long to put it on disney plus and because of that nobody would watch it on disney plus and it wouldn't contribute to anything they would they would because the same amount of subscribers all the things you have in your library already our draws and then if you add a relatively recent film like it's a new film that comes out this year like that in itself can be a draw and then it's now forever part of that program so it is falling into one of those things that people may stick around in the program for because yeah disney plus you have easy access to all those star wars content now that becomes Mm -hmm. a part of the star wars content and so i'm sure that's going to be a frequent uh like thing people go and revisit 
Um, so I feel I mean, like a, it would be a far better option to have something like that. Some of the shows, sure, I can see like Andor, the way that they're trying to go about that. They want like a long form storytelling thing. Okay, I get that. So that that makes sense. And some I mean, of them, every, I'm not opposed to some shows being a part of the franchises, but being like continuations or um, diversions from like main storyline, I think that's fine. But I just hate the trend that with franchises, the the immediate knee-jerk reaction now is to mm. make it a series and put on the streaming service yeah. instead of making it a film because again, well, films think are amazing about it and like, incredible and they should like be... This. A TV show is something you can keep going for six years. A film is once, you know? Right. A with, a, with a TV show and you have multiple TV shows, you can create interesting content for year after year after year that people will want to keep coming back for time and time again and also want to continue rewatching. And they'll spend a lot of time rewatching that. Whereas if you just have movies coming out, I don't, think they would. I don't think people are going to watch a bunch of movies as much as they watch TV. I feel like more people watch TV than movies. Uh, in terms of like minutes watched, sure. Not and just that. I feel like TV is more talked about. TV is more prevalent nowadays because the quality has increased. And I feel like people are more interested in watching a prolonged year after year series than watching a one-off franchise film. I think they're both profitable, but I think the year after year profitability of TV shows is what makes them so enticing. Perhaps, but again, I'm saying it's a very muddled year after year like profitability thing if it's on a streaming service where yeah, people are paying for just the service itself, not the individual content. And so then how do you determine like where the profitability is for each individual show? That's what I'm well, saying. Well, you can see the Even amount of is... viewership. You can see how many viewers, let's say, watch The Mandalorian, and you can say, okay, so The Mandalorian was released in June. It had a uh, hundred million accounts watching The Mandalorian. That's ten dollars for that month. That it, or that's uh, ten dollars a month for that year. That means it made one billion dollars, but uh, but it only cost us, let's say, a hundred million dollars to make. That mean that means it's very profitable. Let's do a season two. Whereas if you made something like a shitty Netflix show that nobody ever heard of, I don't I don't have an example because I don't watch them. And it cost you $30 million to make, and you only had, let's say, uh, 2 million, like, what, maybe, less, like, let's say I had, like, like 800,000 watchers, right? 800,000 accounts watched, maybe even less, like, 500,000 accounts watched the show to completion. Like, mm -hmm. you could probably even have analytics that say they tried the first episode and didn't continue, which means they probably won't watch a season two. Let's say... Right. Like, let's say like 100,000 accounts actually watched the entire thing through and through. That's $10 a month. That's what, 10 million? That's not the same as the 30 million it costs to make it. Let's not make a season two because not enough people are going to watch it. So you can do right. the analytics with the information you have to determine the profitability of shows. But for a long time, the Netflix business model was to just keep making niche products and hope and attract more and more people and the shows that we make a loss on will be made up by the shows that make a profit on, but that's no longer feasible now the, because there's so much competition and every other streaming service has copied the Netflix business model that doing that niche market sort of thing is no longer profitable and everything has to be more broadly appealing so that everybody wants to watch every show because it's a big thing. So you have all these big franchise shows that are more broadly appealing to everybody. You have more uh, interesting show like Stranger Things that is very broadly appealing. They're putting all their money in the to the money makers to make more money, right? Things like that. I mean, Netflix originally it was just 
streaming uh, non-original content. Like when they first transferred from a, a DVD to mail uh, company and started an actual streaming service, they had very few subscribers, but they had so much content that wasn't original that people would be like, hey, 10 bucks a month and I get all these movies. Awesome. And then they made House of Cards and a bunch of people wanted to just go to Netflix to really like their main reason for getting Netflix was to watch House of Cards that they realized it would be profitable to now make original content because there's more people watching just House of Cards and specifically the whole seasons year after year that they're bringing in yearly money on their accounts that that supersedes the amount it costs to make that season of television for that year. And so they're going to be more willing to put in money to make more and more House of Cards and then more shows and more shows and more shows. And then they started trying to make movies, but their movies were lower quality because they had the same budgets as the TV shows and they had the same creative creative forces as the TV shows. But it's it's a movie. It's a different kind of thing. And watching a movie as original streaming service isn't as enticing as watching a movie in theaters to a lot of people. So they didn't do as well. And yet they're still, I don't know why they still back really expensive, low quality films. I think they're really trying to rack in, I think they're trying to use names to bring in people. You know, you have the gray man, Russo brothers starring Chris Evans and Ryan Gosling. You have uh, red notice with Ryan Reynolds, Gal Gadot and Dwayne Johnson. They're banking on names to bring in money and it's not working so because of the competition that's happening with all, if this was 10 years ago and they were doing this, they'd probably make money off of it. But because there's competition and there's so many streaming services and you, you could just say, hey, I don't really like anything on Netflix. Their niche stuff isn't appealing to me. I'm just going to cancel my Netflix subscription to get HBO Max because I like the stuff they have more and I can't afford both. Because of that competition, you have to create more broadly appealing things. That's like, oh, I really love The Mandalorian and I really love Stranger Things. I can't pick between the two. I'm going to need to watch both. So I'm going to have to pay for both subscriptions. It's getting all the people to want to buy that service. So if they wanted to do movies, they would eventually have to be on the streaming services quicker rather than later to appeal to everybody. Cause then otherwise people would just go to the theaters, watch it once and not feel compelled to pay for the service. Whereas with a TV show year after year, you will repay the service cause you want to watch the next season. Right. Or, I agree, though, that there should be more franchise films that they bank on. Star Wars specifically. I'm mm-hmm. surprised that they aren't going heavier on it. I know because we they have said specifically, they said specifically because of Solo bombing, they changed Kenobi so from Solo, a movie yeah. into a series. And again, I think the profitability of that, uh, but that, that particular work quality. went down. If that sure, movie, depends on quality, but if that movie was a similar quality to the TV show, it also probably wouldn't have profited in the same way that Solo didn't profit because perhaps. quality I think it would have made Rogue here's One the thing, did though. okay because Rogue One was a better quality. Sure, but Kenobi also you have it spanning over six weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, on the opening weekend alone, you would get a lot of people going out just to see it, and if it's bad word of mouth, certainly that can have an impact, but it wouldn't have, I think, as much an impact as people dropping off during the series and then people not wanting but that's to the thing. even if they, at all just to see even it. if they dropped off like by episode three and didn't want to finish it they're still paying ten dollars a month for content they're not even watching 
well, they're still paying at money. That point, which is if true. If you though, get bad again, word it, of mouth, is well, that, you can't cancel on a subscription that you've already paid for. But then does it justify Kenobi having all that money, again, a movie's worth of a budget, when people aren't even watching it all the way through? And technically, oh, they're... From a, from still... a creator perspective, no. I feel like sure, if you're I mean, I'm going to put that much money in a project, you should ensure that it's a quality product from a business perspective it doesn't need to be quality it just needs to have a name to it to attract attention agreed but I'm that's saying, how the, that's how the the market has always been i'm saying it would have been more profitable again on yes. to a movie even if it were in the same state essentially if it were i agree the same i think a higher quality product it, i think a higher I'm quality product is always quality. going to attract i'm saying no, same quality in I think theaters same quality would have made less in theaters no i don't think so. i think would have made less I don't think so because I think you would still have more the than spectacle of it being on screen. You'd still have the people rushing out just to see it on theaters. It's less of a time commitment as well than doing the six episodes of middling stuff. You go in for the two hours. You can enjoy it for certain stuff, even though it wasn't as high quality. People may not love it, but the prequels. I mean, that was the same response they had. Even the sequels as well. The last Star Wars got a billion dollars it would have, I think, done quite well in box office. And then, again, you say five months from now, we're putting this on but, Disney but Plus exclusively. Like go subscribe like to Disney Plus to see it in theaters for the first time at your home. It would have done well. It would have had the best of both worlds, essentially. Um, and again, with some of these, they're doing like the limited series with all the Marvel stuff. So it's not even that year after year thing that they're doing. They're just banking on, oh, another Marvel but, property, another Marvel property. Look, even look, that look. is wearing thin at this point. Think of it like this. the The streaming service business model is like printing money they have people who will pay every month for a subscription and you just feed them content back quality or not i know what you're saying as long as you preach the amount and it costs too much to try and as long as you use all the the amount of subscribers you have or more and you're making a profit it doesn't matter what the quality is so once we stop I agree, Engaging but I'm saying in, it still costs too much wait, wait, wait. for the low quality stuff. It costs too much. No, it doesn't. It doesn't because they're still profitable. They're no, still it's not. making. I yes, it is. They're still Bulwark making money. Plus, Warner Brothers Discovery reported a net loss of three point four billion on Thursday's earning call, despite ninety two point one million subscribers. Peacock for what, Disney reported Plus? half a billion loss for HBO, HBO Max, Disney Plus, Warner Brothers Discovery. Peacock reported a half a billion loss. For Comcast, NBC, Universal. I'm saying, I'm saying that's the Disney. change in trend where we aren't watching the content they're making because it's not quality, not Disney because it's Plus. on a streaming service, but because it's not quality. In the same way that putting out a movie is a risk because if it doesn't do well at the box office, it will never make any money whatsoever. I mean, agree. If you stating the obvious that if it's higher quality, it'll likely translate to more money for sure. But yes, they're not caring about the quality at all. They're just saying streaming services now are the better route to go for franchise stuff than movies and i'm saying i don't think that's the case and i think as they continue to put more and more eggs into that basket it'll become i'm saying i'm saying that that it has been i'm saying it has been that trend in the past very heavily but because audiences are no longer willing to watch things like she hulk or like miss marvel they're not willing to watch these marvel products or these disney products because of the quality and it's slightly lower, they are not making any I money because of that. Part of that, though, the and Lord of the thing Rings, they're not going to make money off of it. 
is the fact that they notice well again that's my whole point is like how do you quantify the money that you're actually making back from it and again i told you how you, you quantify I know, it. I know i know i'm saying i'm I saying that there's I never a way to quantify that. it i'm saying there's a way to quantify it and they're going to realize soon that they are now netting losses on these projects and they're going to start doing it the way that you're suggesting yes you're saying they should do that i'm saying they aren't doing it but they most likely will if they want to make money sure Again, that's all I've been saying as well, is that this is an untenable route that we've been going down. It's frustrating to see as well from a consumer perspective. Of course. But then even from the business perspective, it is uh, shocking that yeah. they're doing that because, again, it is harder. It's just objectively harder to quantify that. Um, and sure, they have the metrics for it and whatnot, and that's how they determine whether they cancel yeah. a show, like a Netflix show, if it's going to get a season two or not. Sure, that's certainly like a factor that they put in. But my, my problem the mindset with your of an endless stream of content as a way to keep up the uh, like the numbers of subscribers and whatnot. I think that mindset, which as you described, is like one that they've had and sure, because they're trying to, oh, if you put three things out, someone's going to find one thing that they like. Sure, maybe. But I'm saying putting three things out to maintain one subscriber, that is the mindset that is losing the money. That's what's crazy. Because it's my a argument, constant rush. My argument is that you are saying... I'm saying that in the past, this has been profitable, and that's why they're continuing to do it. And you're saying that it has always been profitable to make it a movie and then put it on a streaming service, which I disagree with because I think making it a movie is a greater risk. In the past, has been a greater risk than making streaming service content because streaming service content is guaranteed revenue month after month as long as you put out the right content. My point is saying that because it is a content rush and the quality has dropped, that is what is making the profitability drop. Not that it has always been more profitable to make a movie. I'm saying it hasn't been in recent years, but now it's starting to be more profitable making a movie. Because if you're going to not make money off a streaming service, you might as well take a risk with a movie and possibly make more, more money than you could have with a streaming service. Streaming services are less of a risk traditionally. Streaming service content have been traditionally less of a risk because you're guaranteed that monthly revenue. Whereas... If the quality is low and people don't care about it anymore, people say, I don't care about the new Disney Plus shows. I don't care about rewatching the old Disney Plus shows. I'll just cancel the subscription until the next Mandalorian comes out. And I'll keep it for that month and cancel it again. Then they're going to start making less and less money because the quality has dropped. However, sure. in the past, when they were putting out products that were good, like when Netflix was at the peak of its power and it had Stranger Things and House of Cards and all these great shows that it was putting out all at once, it was generating more money than if they had made those high quality products as movies and went for a risk because that's more of a risk because they could have made more money with that but that would have been a risk compared to the streaming service which is guaranteed monthly revenue and most business people will rather take the slightly lower guaranteed money making way than the risk of higher profitability most businessmen would make that choice right I don't disagree with your point about like House of Cards and Stranger Things. Those are different things because they were original properties. House of Cards obviously is a, like akin to a television show. I don't know how you would make that movie. Stranger Things, because initially in the first season, it's budget You're talking was about franchise products. Yeah, but I'm saying now Stranger Things has become that. And so it makes more sense that they're banking on it as Marvel would for one of their movies. But mm -hmm. in that first season, it wasn't made at the price of a massive blockbuster franchise movie. But now these shows that are coming on Disney Plus and on Netflix mm -hmm. and whatnot, they are being made at those uh, budgets. And so I that's what I'm argue... saying. It's, that's what is, for me, 
the part that isn't clicking as why are they mm -hmm. banking on that as being far more profitable when they're closing out the revenue streams of like box office and disc sales and PVOD mm -hmm. just for the streaming profit. Yeah. Which as you said, like there is an automatic level to that. Sure. But it just doesn't make sense to me. And that's why I would argue, it's I would argue, always been that case to make it make sense. I would argue that three years ago, like around, like right before COVID hit, they hit a really good sweet spot where they had a little bit of both. They had Marvel products and star Wars products that they could put out in theaters that would make really, really good money and then that they could later put on their streaming service to make money as well. And then they also had original content following the Netflix model that was also making really good money. So there wasn't any risks whatsoever. They sure. were just making money nonstop. And then they got too comfortable with the fact that they were making so much money from the streaming services that they started transferring stuff from that theater business model into the streaming service model, especially with COVID happening. Definitely fueled that transfer over because Absolutely, yeah. now you can just put it out there without having to worry about theater restrictions and whatnot and loss of revenue because of that. And you could just feed into the streaming servers model and they overcrowded it and it became this big bubble that exploded with too much low lower quality content that people are like, now they're overstuffed with content on all these different services. They'd rather just not. They'd rather pick the specific ones they want to watch watch those and then cancel the service until they need to get it again. Right. And because of that, I think there's going to be a trend to where maybe Disney plus won't do it because they seem to really be going heavy for the streaming service. They think they're going to win out. I don't think they are going to because of that. I think the other streaming services like, uh, I don't think Hulu really has a problem. Hulu's mostly a TV show thing. Anyway, I right. think things like Amazon prime and Netflix are going to start pulling back and gearing more towards theatrical releases and leaving TV shows for their streaming services, but banking less on those and trying because Netflix doesn't have a lot of franchises that it owns. So it's mostly exactly. original, original content. So they're more they're they're going to do better, in my opinion, because they can create more interesting, creative, original content that will be more successful in the theater model than a franch a failing franchise might be like if they made a Lord of the Rings movie right now, that was a prequel movie. I don't think it would do very well in the same way that I don't think the TV show is going to do very well on their streaming service. The TV show is doing fine. I got like 25 is million it? viewers. Never mind. Around then the it's world. Doing, it's doing so great. That, yeah. Good. But again, everyone's subscribed to Prime. Is it for the shows? Again, no. It's like mostly for the actual Amazon stuff. But there, I guess, is something to 25 million people being able to tune into that show around the yeah. world. Um. So yeah, it definitely is like a successful thing but again compared right. to the amount of money they spent on getting the rights and then producing the show itself again you'd have to figure that out and again like figuring out well how many people yeah. are watching that just because they happen to have prime and so they're going to watch something randomly that is offered on prime or people actually subscribing to it in order to see that thing and therefore this was a solid investment because it did bring in people specifically for this purpose again that's a thing that they'll have to figure out, engage with their own internal metrics or whatnot. But I'm just saying we had the boom of streaming services three mm -hmm. years ago as the COVID thing was about to happen. Yeah. And then, of course, during COVID, since everything couldn't be in theaters, that's why everything understandably transferred to streaming services is like... And the then they were draw. super profitable because of that. Exactly. But now I'm saying... But uh, now the theaters are back. Is, yeah, everyone has... They're trying to abandon the theater model, which is a mistake. Which is a mistake, yes. Everyone has misunderstood like, why the streaming services stuff was so successful during that whole COVID thing. And now they're banking on everything being 
OS streamers or streaming services even more than film franchises, which I think, I think as Disney a consumer in is particular that. is what is going to fail the most. I think Star Wars and Marvel are going to get a lot worse before they get better. And I think a lot of that falls on Bob Chapek, who's the new CEO of Disney, because he's a much more frugal businessman than Bob Iger was. Bob Iger was always willing to take risks. He, I mean, he paid $4 billion for Star Wars. Like he's very much willing to put money out there and put risky products out there to try right. and make money back. Whereas Bob Chapek, you know, you do the streaming bubble service thing where you put out the Mandalorian and stuff and a bunch of Marvel shows on Disney plus during COVID and you make a shit ton of money because there's nothing in theaters anyway. And then you see that and you go, Oh, we can just do that forever. And then COVID ends. It doesn't work that way. And Disney's going to learn sooner. Well, later rather than sooner, if you ask me, because they've already have all these shows planned out that, it's not going to work. I think they're going to start making more and more losses. And I think other streaming services are going to do better. I think Disney Plus's price is going to go up. It's going to be more expensive to pay for it. And I think their theatrical products are going to lower in quality because they're going to be putting more attention to the streaming service products because they haven't learned their lesson yet. So I think Star Wars and Marvel are going to get worse before they get better. And I think that is sad. Because I always loved Marvel and I always loved Star Wars. And it's just sad that that is going by the wayside. Because not because Disney is trying to make it family friendly, but because they're trying to make it widely appealing and intensely profitable without considering quality. Right. Because they're just trying to pump things out to keep yeah. the masses. It, they're trying to make it a machine. Itself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is sad the assembly line route of it and throwing mm -hmm. it on the streaming service, which yeah, for all the artistic reasons is sad. But again, I've just been thinking from the business side of it, it doesn't make much sense either. Like it's not very attainable. It does. If you're a person to have long term is only focusing on the past business successes and not thinking about changes in the world. Like if you're a very frugal businessman and you have a business and it makes the most money it could possibly make for a whole year, you don't want to change anything. You want to do more of what you've been doing, but you're mm -hmm. not considering the changes in the world that are outside your business that could affect the profitability of that. And that's what's happening. They're not considering the return of theaters being as profitable as it could. They're thinking that theaters are going to die out and they're not. What's going to happen is other streaming services are going to catch on to that fact. They're going to start putting more movies out in theaters for longer periods of time and wider releases. And they're going to make more money off of that. And they're going to become more successful. They're going to be able to drive their own prices down, which is going to appeal to more uh, subscribers. They're going to get more subscribers. They're going to make even more money. Netflix is going to do it. Amazon is going to do it because they they have always traditionally banked more on original content. And this is the first time that Amazon is really going for a franchise material. And I think they're going to learn that even if it is profitable, the quality is important and the place where it goes is important. I think they're going to bank on more original movies in the same way that Netflix is going to. Like Netflix is already putting stuff behind. They they did The Irishman with Scorsese and they've got a lot of, a lot of other artistic movies that I think are going to start coming out more in theaters. Apple TV is doing it with Scorsese's new movie. You know, Apple yeah, TV. Like a 200 million thing or something. Yeah. Which again, doesn't seem financially uh, yeah, sound. Yeah, that, that never sounded financially sound to me because I can't imagine it making its money back in theaters and I can't imagine the streaming service garnering enough subscribers to merit that money back. Exactly. So there are decisions that are made where they are banking on big names like Scorsese, DiCaprio, De Niro in a movie. Let's put a bunch of money on it. 
that's not necessarily the smartest decision these days. You know, look at what Scorsese has done in the last few years. Irishman, I'm sure it got plenty of views on Netflix and it got some theatrical response, but overall it probably wasn't the most profitable film that Netflix has ever made. Silence before that was not a super profitable movie. The last profitable movie we had was probably Wolf of Wall Street. And even that made, you know, it made its money back, but it didn't explode like a franchise film did. So right. why are they giving it a franchise budget? I don't understand. I, I think it's lovely either. that Martin Scorsese got $200 million to make a movie. I think I that's think cool. So too. That's awesome. But, yeah, but it it's is, not a smart business issue. And then sometimes when mindset. you limit the budget of an artist, it makes them think more creatively. And you, if, when you don't give them free reign to do something, it often makes the product more interesting because they've had to think outside the box and solve problems in a creative way. So I'm not... I think artists should be given the money to make the movie they need, but I don't think they should be given the world to do whatever they want, you know? Right. Because I don't think that often comes, because it comes out exactly how they want it, which isn't always a broadly appealing, profitable product. I think it can be interesting. Look at The Northman, you know? It was a very interesting product, but, and it's more broadly appealing than his earlier works, I would argue, but it's still not something that merited what I'm pretty sure the budget it got, which was like 30 or 40, 60 million dollars or something. Right. I mean, I think it made a great use of its budget and it certainly oh, absolutely. is fantastic. Like I'm glad it did. the budget great, but exists, it wasn't therefore. broadly appealing enough to make its money back. Sure. Although, again, we don't know exactly how it did on like PVOD and stuff like that. But in terms of box sure. office, for sure it didn't do that. But in terms of, yeah, the quote unquote value of it with discs and PVOD, and then when it ended up on the streaming service. Yeah. Which which one was that? Would it have gone to Peacock or something? Was it Universal? What was that? I have no idea. Northman? I don't I know. Think it, I think it was Universal. I can't remember. Um, But yeah. So I'm glad. I mean, that's always the better case. I would prefer like uh, auteurs to get crazy big budgets um, to do whatever they want to do. I think that's cool. But it does, again, speak to that mindset of like Netflix sending out $200 million to Scorsese for a, an Oscar picture, essentially. Because they think that that is going to boost their their reputation and whatnot. Yeah, and it's bring just in like more niche viewers. products. Niche products don't bring in money in the theater model in the same way they do in the streaming model. So they don't typically have a bigger budget. You can give right. an hour tour like Jordan Peele. You give Jordan Peele ten million dollars to make Get Out. He'll make you sixty million dollars, seventy million dollars back domestically. You're doing great. Mm -hmm. That's a great profit right there. For sure, he he pulled a hat trick there. Because you gave him a modest budget for a modestly budgeted film. You marketed it really well, and it was a high-quality product. That is a good business model for the theater model. Streaming yeah. service, not so much. When you can do something niche, you can give it more money because it will make more money back. Because you make a consistent revenue every month. But again, so they're you have different. to see how they're much revenue can be attributed to that particular work. Which again, yeah, I think of course. for most of the products, it's it doesn't meet that meet that threshold of like yeah the but they were more willing to take that loss because they were making so much money in the earlier days Agreed. when yeah back when they were the only when streamers were the around only one, and yeah. they were the powerhouse but now that's they when have to shift they were that at mindset. their best yeah. and as do all the other streaming services because they got into the game thinking mm -hmm. well if netflix, netflix it, they had all that too. money and so they got that head start but we have all these franchises and we can just turn those into series but again you're spending so much money on it and, and nobody's gonna don't want think it. that they're 
yeah, profitable. Like Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power got profitable. 25 million viewers. That's great. But if the product isn't quality, it's not going to get anybody by the time season two rolls out. How much out. they called it. How much it cost to make Rings of Power. It had to be Rings like 300 million. Uh, let me see here. Because I know it took money to like purchase the rights. <laughs> what? Somebody said $1 billion. Calm down. No. What the heck? I think that's combining the rights too, because I think the rights were an insane amount. Mm-hmm. Amazon, but then they, they have those rights. They acquired, they acquired the rights. That's true. Well, it's actually it's just the appendices of Lord of the Rings. That's hilarious. For reported two hundred fifty million dollars. Damn. With the first season of the five season run costing an estimated four hundred sixty five million. What? That's crazy and there's no way they're going to make money off of that if it's not a quality product because people won't stay in for five seasons right stranger things why because four costs usually your budget's gonna go up yeah your budget's gonna go up because 465 million for the first season imagine how much season five is gonna yeah, cost house of the dragon cost more than the last season of game of thrones that's insane yeah but they're also getting good views and I mean, they are quality, sure, but it is quality. So people will probably stick around for later seasons. My problem with the TV model and streaming services is they will, they assume that they can just put whatever they want out there. Disney plus has a leg up on this because they put out limited series. They'll put out the Kenobi show or She-Hulk or WandaVision where it doesn't have a second season. So they don't have to worry about quality because people will watch the whole thing and they won't have to worry about people wanting to watch for a season two. Right. This doesn't work for things like Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, where they're trying to do five seasons. It has to be a good product that people want to come back to. Otherwise, what's the point of, what, $800, $900 million that you put into it so far? Mm-hmm. That's not worth it. No, it's it's mind-boggling. My hey, guess is that Rings of Power is not going to last five seasons. If I had yeah, to we'll see, we'll see. They will probably cancel at some point and then divert their attention to a different Lord of the Rings project, maybe a movie. Maybe they'll learn their lesson and they'll make a Lord of the Rings prequel movie of some kind and they will bank on that. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, this stuff is just, it's crazy to see. And again, that's why I'm saying instead of doing that and putting as just a streaming service exclusive show, it'd be more satisfying, I think, for me. And then I think also in terms of the business, it would be more uh, profitable to just make it a movie, make it that franchise, send it to PVOD, then get your streaming service, put it in that library and make a whole yeah. ordeal out of it. And now it's firmly think, in there. It's like only going to belong on that streaming service. So you still get that. Yeah. Um, I think Netflix is in the best place because they don't have franchises. They have more freedom to play around with the the two different models. And I think they're going to be the most profitable over the next I don't think years. so. I don't think no one... Maybe we'll see if they try and get Unless, to the movie I think game Amazon more. But no one's going to see a Netflix movie. movie in theaters. I don't think people because Netflix is, is just too much of a streaming thing. Maybe, but again, they don't have franchises, and they tried to build out like with Red Notice and Gray Man, like these big blockbuster phenomena. Yeah, they're trying to make franchises, but they have not succeeded in that attempt. They're well watched on the service, like they reported that they're like some of the highest viewed ones. But when they try to do yeah. their limited. Uh, run in theaters they made like no money because again yeah, exactly when you think of netflix you obviously think of the decade you spent watching a netflix show in your home you're not going to think oh that's a theatrical landscape whereas I these think franchises netflix is the best at adapting to 
the ever-changing model of a I streaming think, service. I think I think so. I they, think Disney Plus is falling behind, and I think Amazon they have Prime is falling the behind. biggest uh, to fall because they were so high up. They had the biggest head start, and now they're dealing with. Uh, they have a reckoning that they're going to have to deal with. So I don't think if they are think, able to lean more into like the movie stuff, I think they'll probably be least successful because they are in a studio. All the other ones, Disney, uh, Warner Brothers, Universal, they all have originated as studios. They know how that game works a little bit better. Um, so I think they'll fare the problem more is they're, they're the straying away from the theater model. I agree, but it's easier to Disney's return doing the back work. to it than enter it for the first time if you are Netflix. They yeah, built their think... brand on being streaming and being something you see at home. Whereas Universal, Disney, all that stuff, you still can think of those as separate from their streaming services. So I think Netflix will have the most difficult time adjusting to like veering, pulling back from having these huge movie uh, budgets for each of their shows. And if they mm -hmm. try and get into the like actual theater game and mm -hmm. putting things in there to get a box office run, I think those will be least successful, to be honest. Okay, but I don't think Netflix is going to make money as a theater model. I'm saying that Netflix is going to make money as a streaming model more than Disney Plus will. Because Netflix knows the game of streaming and will be able to adapt to a changing market. Whereas Disney Plus is going hard on their streaming service and it's not working because their content is less quality. I would say, I would also probably not agree with that. I just don't... because all the other streaming services have a great library. And these were the shows that used to be the foundation for Netflix. Netflix's mm. originals, outside of a very uh, small few, they aren't big draws, and they're continually losing the mm. other like shows that or movies made by other studios that are somewhat of a draw. Like they're continually losing those, so they have to continue to replace them with um, their originals. But they are the streaming service that most leans into the content rush thing just put out five things every week and hope that someone is going to get one of those things to latch onto, and then they'll stay for the service i think because they're raising their prices so much as well but the thing and is they're not content rush it's just gonna they're continue putting to out content them. rush but the content rush they're putting out is not always big budget stuff they're more conservative with what they put out whereas disney plus a lot, is is, a lot of content that is all very high budgeted I agree with that. Their profitability margin is a lot slimmer. But I, we'd have to see like what the actual rundown is. Because if you're putting, like literally, they have hundreds of things, hundreds and hundreds they put out every single year. A lot of those are like Stranger Things, which is 360 million, more than the entire yeah. trilogy of Lord of the Rings. Um, that's for just one season of that Stranger Things. Combine that with all the other shows that are coming out and all the other movies, all of which have their own budgets. Like the... The Crown is something that's like over 100 million for a season. Mm -hmm. White Noise, the Noah Baumbach movie, uh, coming out with Adam Driver, that apparently is over 100 million for a that's movie that's odd. more of a like an Oscar type thing rather than yeah. a big. That is the weird Oscar. trend I see with the streaming services. I that's what I was talking about. Mars Kazizis. I don't like 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 it's great that these auteurs are getting budgets, but I don't see the profitability in that. Right, but that's what I'm saying is they're doing that for their big franchises they're doing that yeah. for our tour driven flicks they're probably doing that for all the other random shows and movies that they're throwing out they're pumping it with a big budget hoping that'll be eye-catching in some way but people just aren't going to watch it just by i mean there's too much content not everyone's going to watch everything and then so do you meet the threshold for each individual project of having enough people watching it 
that you can justify, oh, they're sticking around on the platform for a show like this. Let's continue to do it. Very few of those meet that. Like Cobra Kai will meet that. And also that probably isn't a crazy budgeted thing either. But well, there's a, there's that's a something reason that will why... hit it. And that makes sense. But all the other, there's probably going to be three other Netflix things that drop the same day as Cobra Kai. There's a reason why streaming services are able to give Noah Baumbach $100 million and a theater model wouldn't. And it's because in the theater model, you have to make up that money in eyeballs seeing it. Whereas I'm saying in neither case, is it uh, financially justifiable to give like $100 million for a story like that? It probably is not going to be profitable. I agree. And streaming has understood that I'm saying it's more reasonable in a streaming model than a theater model. I still don't think so. I think so. Because... Again, with the streaming model, you are making $10 a month from every subscription each month. Agreed. And I don't think anyone's going to see white noise and be like, we are now dropping the platform for this. But I'm saying not enough people are going to see white noise and say, oh, this is worth keeping the platform for this. I'm glad this came out so I can justify having it for this month. I don't think enough shows, enough movies do that for these streaming services. But the streaming services are putting money behind the stuff because they want to win awards. They want to win Oscars. And that's a different thing because they are, yeah, because there's a certain amount that that studios will go in order to get the industry clout. They are valuing that industry clout more than the, because they're trying to attract more and more auteurs to those streaming services to make products there instead of with the theaters because they're trying to kill theaters. I don't know if they're trying to do that, but. They want, to, they want to more money in streaming. Well, Netflix at least wants more money in streaming services than in theaters because they want to make more and more money. And they do that by having more products in their library than out in theaters. Agreed. Yeah. That's part of the like content rush thing. I'm just saying. Which is why they're willing to back creators with a lot of money, hoping that they will get a more high quality product and win awards, which isn't always the case. Right. And I'm, I think like white noise will probably be one of the last instances of that because I agree. you're noticing I think how it's, it's financially not unreasonable it is to do that for yeah. essentially like every single property that they're trying to do and just throw out, throw a bunch of money into stuff and throw out a bunch of content and hope that it'll be enough to keep people around. It's yeah. just not. So that's why I'm saying the whole thesis to get back to why I brought that up. I mm-hmm. think especially for franchise things like Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. and Star Wars, I think it would be much more satisfying from a consumer standpoint to see these things realized on the big screen than in a TV at home format. And I also think, especially now and in the next few years, it's it'll become more apparent that financially, that's also probably the better decision for these franchise entries to take than just making it a TV series. And I, I hope figure. I hope that the trend is going to not continue in the way that it is where more and more of these franchise stuff becomes like streaming stuff. Like I don't want the next Jurassic World thing to be a massive television show. Like that would be unfortunate. Harry Potter is a different story. I think that one would work for um, like not That's making what I'm saying. Is it the Harry Potter you know? stuff, but making it like a Hogwarts show and just making it its own sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, that would work well for a streaming thing because it's more of that long form thing. But if you were to come yeah. up with like the sequel to the Harry Potter movies where you bring back the original cast, like that would have to be a film. If you're going to do a Pirates of the Caribbean thing, like it would have to be a film. Like I don't want to see these franchises just continually reduced down into another yeah. entry in a streaming service. That's why it's odd that number. Disney Plus specifically will take these franchises and make a limited series with them instead of making movies with the same budget that it would take to make a movie with no 
desire to make a season two or exactly. anything. They're just doing a season one because they're trying to attract people to a streaming service. That business model doesn't make sense to me. The Netflix exactly. one does. The Disney Plus one does not. Yeah, they all make increasingly less sense to me as time goes on. But hopefully, again, it will uh, not be the case that we continue with it. But I don't know. We'll see. We continue to see things like uh, like Last of Us sort of makes sense as being a television show. But again, that's getting a massive like movie budget. They're trying to make it a massive phenomenon yeah. for HBO. Same thing with like some of those Netflix properties. I think God of War and uh, Horizon Zero Dawn, like those things getting adapted. Again, they're trying to make it these big franchise pieces, but they're making them shows. I guess same with The Witcher would sort of be another thing like that. Um, mm, they're right. trying to get their own Game of Thrones. And it's just, I don't know, it's exhausting to see that happen and frustrating. But hopefully we will have a good, healthy amount of blockbuster films that are both of high quality and get a lot of good attention. Things like Top Gun, Maverick, and whatnot. Hopefully there will always be a place for that. I'm sure there will in cinema, but hopefully we get back to that more and more often because again it's crazy that we don't have a like star wars film coming out um so hopefully we'll continue to see things like the avatar sequels and whatnot being done well because i'm sure there's like an alternate universe where something like that would be transformed into a tv series um if it came out more recently and then all the streaming services were already around they'd probably try and put that as a a streaming thing same thing with like the hobbit movies themselves they probably would have been transformed into oh let's just make a hobbit the series although maybe not because i guess that was even stretching it to three movies was a lot but mm-hmm. again people would be like oh a hobbit limited series let's just make everything a limited series now so yeah for sure yeah, if the hobbit hadn't come out it was coming out nowadays it would be a limited series i i agree and that's sad it's sad to think about um but yeah so that's our discussion of the streaming stuff i want to yeah. take it back to lord of the rings for just one moment yeah. So we're cutting back in here. We just had a massive hour-long digression about something unrelated to Lord of the Rings. But I did want one final note about Lord of the Rings. Did you see the prank interview that Don Monahan did on yes. Elijah Woods? Yes. Is that not one of the best things ever? It's hilarious. It is fantastic. I love it. I think about that <laughs> so often. When will you have Viggs? So good. It's so good. So that's just one thing to like all those bonus features and special featurettes, all that stuff that Lord of the Rings offers. Yeah. We also get that fantastic prank thing. And that's another thing going back to, we just talked about streaming services and all that jazz and how uh, film franchises are losing their way because everything wants mm-hmm. to be put on streaming services. That's another thing that, especially in the streaming age is getting lost is stuff like the bonus features getting to have like true time, effort, dedication spent into building those out and making those interesting and giving us a peek behind the curtain with the film Um, and getting to see fun little things like a prank interview or the bloopers that are going on. Like those are also lost elements to. I don't like the behind the scenes stuff they do. Like it's interesting and stuff, but it seems very surface level. Like they're very much controlling exactly what you want to see. Like, if you've seen the Mandalorian behind-the-scenes stuff, it's very much like they're just scratching the surface of exactly what was going on, and they're barely showing any seat. Like, there's barely any actual, like, audio of them actually on set at any point. It's just very much just, like them scriptedly narrating what was happening to uh, B footage of just behind-the-scenes stuff. And it's like, if you're going to script the behind-the-scenes stuff, what's the point? Exactly. Yeah.
That's all the time we have. If you'd like to give your thoughts on the show, you can email us at theboxofficeshowpod at gmail.com. Our main title theme for this show is Sundown by Joseph McDay. If you like the show, please give us five stars on whatever podcast app you're listening to. And be sure to tune in next week. We're going to be talking about the epics of David Lean. Have a great rest of your day.